Okay, I'm going to ask if you could pop the text back up again on the screen, just to keep everybody on their toes, and we're going to read through it again. It's just a short reading. Um, yeah, I was looking for a prayer to share. This is a bit of a New Year's message. The series starts next week, and I just wanted to have something to bring uh, that you could hang on to throughout the year, and so I didn't want it to be too long, and I did want it to be a prayer, and I'm a blunt instrument, me, so I wanted it to be pretty direct, so this is pretty direct stuff, so... Hang on to the words. There are a few words in there as we read through it that I want just to be thematic in our lives as we go through this year. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's, uh, that's God's word. I hope it blesses and touches our hearts as we look at it just now. So the gist of this story is, the gist of this prayer is, that the greatness of God, the vast expanses, the glorious riches, this amazing forgiveness, the creator God, all this is at, and I had to read this over and over again because I didn't want to be blasphemous in my preaching. This is available to us. This is at our disposal. We have the capacity to fully know God. This is certainly the journey that we're heading on. We should be properly amazed by that. We should be like, oh yeah, crikey, this is true. This is amazing. This is amazing news. Have you ever thought to yourself, have you ever stopped to consider that, I mean, this is a phrase I think actually that we say often, is there more to life than this? Even those of us been on the Christian journey a long time and think we might be doing really well, sometimes we just stop and think, is, is there not more to life than this? Is there not a, more of a point to my life than this? Or, or to stop and think, I've got more to give. I'm sure I've got more to give. We've just got this yearning deep within our hearts that there is more. And, and part of the joy of this passage and part of the shock of this passage is that, yeah, there is more. There's loads more. There's vast expanses more. Paul's writing to these Ephesians, who it seems, it's a pretty gentle letter, the letter to the Ephesians. It's not like a lot of his letters where it seems that they're doing a lot of stuff wrong. It seems actually like they're quite a good bunch heading in a pretty good direction. And Paul still grabs hold of them and says, you need to know more. There is more. It's a great message for us at Christchurch in 2017. We're doing, I feel like I make a church assessment. We're doing great. We're doing really good. And yet Paul would write to us this letter and say, There is so much more of God's grace that we can appreciate. There is so much more forgiveness. I have got so much more power that you don't yet know about, that you you haven't even touched on. Yeah, it's a bit of a human trait, this, I think, to sort of have this concept of power and yet miss it. I'm a bit of an old man driver. I'm only 37, but I'm properly, if you get in my car, it's Radio 4, it is. It's Radio 4, it's Radio 5, and I drive a Zafira, a Vauxhall Zafira. And I don't want to offend anybody who might have a Vauxhall Zafira, but that just screams mediocrity, everybody. Okay, that is a 
I have a boring car, but I've not always been like this. I have been more risky. I've had better cars. I've had more souped-up cars. And I've lived, I've driven around in cars that shouldn't probably have really been on the road. And I've driven them for further distances than was probably acceptable. And I've spent, and this is where I'm headed with the story, I've spent a lot of time on the side of the motorway. I've been that guy that you've driven past, scratching his head, looking completely out of his depths, trying to look at his car like he knows what he's about to do to his car, but actually he's got no real concept of what he's going to do. And one, one, one moment that sticks in my mind probably more than any other, I was, have you driven along the M62 when you're going over the tops, what my granddad used to call it, you're just exposed to all the elements. I was in this white van that was heavily buffeted by the wind and I got a flat tire, a blowout, and I'm changing this flat tire. It was, a, it was a horror story of a moment. I've got this hydraulic jack that gives you about a 30-second window in which to change the tire, and I'm pumping it up frantically. And, and unbeknownst to me, apparently I, I was screaming. I was making loud noises. Every time a heavy goods vehicle came past, my wagon was blown over on its side. And, I'm, and I don't want to scream now, but I feel like you need to... Gra- you know, I was making a lot of loud noises. And I know this because a policeman pulled up next to me, and it was like something straight out of a carry-on film. He's like, afternoon, sir. Everything going okay? And I'm like looking up at him in desperation, jeans and a t-shirt, pouring with rain, clearly out my depth. And I did that thing, that Yorkshire thing. He went, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I've got this. I've got this covered. And he's, and he's looking down at me and he's, he said, only I heard screaming. <laughs> and I went, no, I've, no I, I, don't, I don't know what that was. That's probably the, you know, I didn't make, I didn't, even, I didn't, I didn't answer his question, to be honest. But he said, I heard you screaming. And, 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 and he said to me, he said, you know, he looked down at me in my desperation and he looked at the cars flying past. He's looking at my wagon being buffeted by the wind. And he said, in a really kind of condescending way, we've got no idea, have we, of the power of the things that we drive. And then he did this thing. I'll never forget it. He kind of clipped his feet together like this and then toddled off back into his car and drove off and left it by the side of the road. And it was a horrible moment. But the wisdom of what he said was so true. And I had another four or five hours. Well, not four or five hours. I had a long time before I got my tire changed. But when you stand at the side of the motorway, you forget, or you, and you don't forget, you realize just what it is that you're driving around in, the power of what you're driving around in. When you've got a heavy goods vehicle comes thumping past you and it's so close, you appreciate the power of it. Then I got my tire back on, I jumped back in the cab, I switched Radio 4 back on, put the heating on. And I was late back for work, so I bombed on at whatever speed, silly speed, to get back. And I had forgotten already about the power that was at my disposal. This letter that Paul's writing to the Ephesians is with that ilk. He sees these people who are just comfortable. They're not really doing anything wrong. And he he says to them, look, you need to know, like, like the condescending policeman that I met, you need to know about the power of God. You need to know what you're driving around in. You need to know what the vehicle can do, you need to experience this power. Not only did he say that, and this is that right in the middle of that verse, I want you to, don't look at me, look at the verse. Right in the middle of that verse, he asks asks us to remember where this power should be. Can you see where he tells us that it needs to be? And this is really the crux of the message, the New Year's message for 2017, that it needs to be in our hearts. I know that that's kind of a quaint oldie-worldy sort of saying, Jesus in our hearts. But that's what he says. It needs to be absorbed into your hearts. I had to write a, what you call a spiritual reflection. I'm studying towards a theology degree. It's taking me forever. 
But every year you've got to write a spiritual reflection. You've got to think about something you've learned. You've got to report that you're, you're on a journey and you're growing. And I thought I'd have nothing. And then I sat down and in two minutes I realized I'd learned lots. But one of the things I'd learned awkwardly and in a really difficult way was that keeping Christ, and I'm trying not to sound too quaint, in your heart, at the core of your being, at the center of your life, in the middle of everything, that is really difficult and we don't do it well or I don't do it well. And I reflected that, that in my, through my teenage years and 20s and everything else, my Christian journey was like that, up and down. And I did cry out to God, and I did depend on him. And he was in the center of my life, but it was now and again. You know what I mean? It was in desperation. It was after a great sermon, or it was after somebody spoke into my life, something like that. But often, I was absent from him. And I've realized since I've been studying, every time I, work, I open up God's word now, or I need God now, it's it's difficult because it, there's a, sometimes I'm looking at it to, to write a, an essay or to do a sermon, and it's like kind of in a professional level. And what I've realized is actually this is a difficult thing to do. And I think that's why Paul draws our attention to it. He says, look, for you to fully understand God, to fully get his power, you've got to accept him into here. And that's really hard. And we can do it for a bit, but Paul asks us to keep that. But, which is why I love at the start of the prayer, I think it's really helpful that we see Paul, and this is a bit of an aside, so I don't want to be too indulgent in this, but I want us to just to have this picture in our head as, of Paul as somebody who is kneeling before the Father. Paul is somebody who was continuously broken before God. Not broken in that he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, broken as in he got God's love. It was real to him. He understood it, and he remained a broken man. Think about the, so you, you won't have read Ephesians. I've been sat there over Christmas reading Ephesians, and if you forget the sort of the doctrine stuff, the stuff that Paul's trying to teach us, and just look at Paul the man, you see it right the way through. At the start, chapter one, he's like, he's praying ceaselessly for people that he doesn't know. In chapter two, we find that he's in jail. In chapter three, we find that he's still on his knees. This is a, the picture of a man who, who remains broken by God and his love for other people. And so when I had that picture in my mind, I'm thinking of me on my up and down journey in my comfortable van, as it were, of Christianity. And I'm, and I'm shown, demonstrated by God's word, a man who remains continuously broken before God. It takes a lot, doesn't it, for us to get onto our knees sometimes. You're a proud Yorkshire bloke. It's a long way down onto your knees. And there's, there's, there's very rare instances in life, actually, where we do it. But when we do do it, it's all symbolic. And I'm trying to think of a few, but I guess beggars are on their knees in submission to the fact that they need some money. When you meet the queen, you'll, you'll, you'll go down onto your knees because you are a subject, I guess, in some sense. And when you have the joy of proposing to somebody, you go down onto your knees, you bend your knees. And I guess what you're saying in these moments are, particularly with, with a proposal, you're saying, you're looking up at, at this person that you love, this, this future wife or husband, and you're saying, I love you. I'm going to be soft and I'm raising my hands. I don't know why I'm raising my hands. You're looking up and you're saying, I am willing to be subject to you for the rest of my life. I get it. You're kind of selling out to this person. You're accepting that this person has all the answers to your question. You are willing to be broken. And I guess we don't get back down on our knees very often, but that is where we find Paul over and over again. That is where Paul seems to stay on his knees. Reading Psalm 51, 
after David committed a pretty, King David committed a pretty heinous crime, sinning with Bathsheba, on his way back to finding out what would bring God joy, he could write, the sacrifice of God is a broken and contrite heart. After searching through all these different ways of getting back to God, what he realized was what God wanted, what was honest, what was pure, what was authentic in his life was that when his heart was broken and he was broken before God. Paul looks at God in all his power with his saving grace. He looks at the world still lost and needy. He sees and he gets what Jesus did and he says, yeah, I am still broken by this. This still captivates me. I'm still lost in this. I'm back down on my knees again. It's a challenge for us, I think, in 2017. We get up off our knees so quickly. And I think this prayer would encourage us to start there and to stay there. And Paul, as a character, really gets and he lives out the power of God in him. And I guess we have to probably take a second to just realize the journey of his life that he's gone through. And he kind of, he's done some terrible things. He's been an awful guy. He's, he's been a religious man who's lived a life of hate. And we, the first time we read about him, he stood over the stoning of Stephen. Like, I think he's rubbing his hands. He's taking like joy in it. This is, a, this is a bad man. He's been a really bad guy. And yet we find him here somehow getting to know the peace of God. The power of God to him is a tangible thing. He can see it. The power of God has remained real to him. He is acutely aware of God's power to change, and he is compelled to pass it on. There's a strange thing that Paul does in lots of his letters. He says to the readers that we shouldn't forget who we once were. He says it a lot in his letters. Don't forget who you once were. And I always read that, and I always think that's quite a strange thing to command. That doesn't seem to really tie in with what forgiveness is. You need to remember who you once were, the kind of things that you once did. He doesn't say this to these people, that they are bound by their sins and the things that they've done. He says, don't forget who you once were because I want you to know the power of which you have received. Think back to the kind of people that you were, see where you are now, and know that this is the power of God and it's not anything else. This is the message that Paul is getting, to know the power of God. I went to see... Moana, has anyone seen, you just nod if you've seen Moana, let's see, there's a handful of people, the new Disney film, Disney's still on, doing alright, it's, it's a good film, but the, the, the Polynesian mantra at the heart of the film is that you are to know your mountain, that is, the, that is the key phrase, and you're looking at me, rightly so, very blank, which is fine, to know your mountain, just to pad it out, is to say, in order to know where you're heading, where you're going, you need to know where you've been. Paul is somebody who lives out his journey. He lives his life knowing what he's been and knowing what God has done to him, the amazing grace and power that is in God through Christ in, in how he's living, and he lives that out. That is something that stays with him. It's tangible to him. And Paul has this sense of how awesome and amazing God is, and he wants to pass it on. That is what's going on here in this letter. He's looking at the Ephesian church. He's saying, you're doing all right but I know, you see, you've got no idea. I know I've been a terrible person. I know how amazing God is. I know there is more. I know that you see it in a tiny bit. I know that you're getting the picture. I know that it's being filled in for you, but there is more. It's like when we, when we come back from an amazing holiday somewhere and we're around at our friend's house and we want them to see this amazing holiday that we've been, we'll pull out our mobile phones 
and we'll flick through and our pictures and we're saying, oh, you need to see this place. It's an amazing place. It's so good. It's so good. And then you pull out and there's a picture and it's you with a sunburnt face and a tiny bit of beach in the background, just like that. And then you're talking about it like they know what it's like. And you, you'll go, oh, yeah, but actually, you, you, need to, you need to see beyond the photograph. See, if you just see where my ear is there, just over my ear, there is there's that beach. Well, that beach goes on for another 100 yards. And then and the, there's just this nice warm air that blows in. And you're, dis, you're describing this sense of perfection. And these people are still looking at a picture of you with a sunburnt face, just smiling like that. So you, so you go and you think they're not getting this. They're not getting how amazing this is. So you tell them more of the story and you'll flick through trying to look for another story and you're trying to sell it to them. You say, oh no, on an evening, there's music in the city square and then we'll go to this restaurant and this waiter that served on us every night, he was actually quite handsome. He was a really good guy. And you're selling them this story over and over again, this perfect picture. And they're still looking at this picture of you with your sunburnt face and a bit of the sun. And what you eventually have to say to them is, And this is how lots of the conversations end. You just need to go. You've got to go. You have got to experience this. That is what Paul is saying. He uses words like grasp and know. He's saying, I have seen the vast expanse of God's grace. It's amazing. I cannot believe he can forgive somebody like me. I cannot believe how much power there is, how brilliant these riches are. You just need to go. And this is the message for the Ephesians. They're saved, yep. They're going along fine, yep. They're in the car, in a sense, without any sense of the power of God, driving along in their Nissan Micras or whatever it is, just going by the side of the road. And Paul is a guy who's been at the side of the road. He's seen how fast the cars go, so to speak. He's seen the trauma. He's seen the power of God and the change that can make in his life. And he's saying, you're doing fine, but you need to know that there is more and you need it. And Paul wants to pass this on. And then we find out as we get towards the middle of the prayer, just, and I think in some respects, this is the key to the story. This is the thing that we've kind of got to absorb. What this looks like, how this manifests itself. What do we do with this power of God? It's like there's the power of God, and there's our opportunity to really grasp God in his fullest sense. What's our part in that? What do we have to do along that journey? And Paul challenges us. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in your inner being, right in the middle, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's kind of been the subject of Christmas, hasn't it? This word dwell. This idea of God dwelling with us, we sing about that, don't we? We sing about it over and over again. It's the topic of Christmas. God comes to dwell with us, and it gives us a kind of a warm, fuzzy Christian glow. Isn't that nice? And now we've reached that point in, our, in the Christmas story, and everybody I've spoken to said the same thing. I just chucked my Christmas. I got, I'm so fed up with Christmas. I've just pulled my lights down. I've chucked them away. And we kind of we move past it, don't we? And this idea of God dwelling with us, with us, we can almost forget. But this idea of this nice, fuzzy idea of thinking about Christ dwelling with us at Christmas. And this idea of somebody coming to dwell with us and the reality of somebody coming to stay with us are two different things, aren't they? Have you said that to anyone in the last little while? You should come around for dinner. You should come over for dinner. Or you've said, anytime you need a bed, and you're like, you'll you'll look all serious, and like it's a genuine invite. Anytime you want to stay anywhere, 
if, if you're in Yorkshire, you come and see us, and then you're faced with that reality, and maybe some of you with teenage kids have been faced with that reality over Christmas, people that have had people to stay with them. You see this big warm invite, and it's lovely. You go, right, you just come and stay. Come and stay at ours at Christmas. It'll be great. Come and stay. And then they rock up, and then they want to share your soap, or they use your razor, or you're having a row. We had... I've done it again. Too personal again. We had... We had a, have you, have, hypothetically... Have you had, sometimes when people come to stay, you, you, need, you need to sort something out. You need to resolve the thing. And you have what's, what has become frequent in our house, a whispering row, where you can't shout anymore or even be nasty. You've got to, you get short, you seem to win the argument by going, because people are listening in. They've invaded your private space. And so you can't be yourselves, almost. And God wants to dwell in that space. This Annoying guests that sometimes come to stay with us. God, the way that we can understand God coming into our lives is that he wants to dwell where it's really awkward. Right in the middle of our lives. That is where Jesus needs to be. And it can be uncomfortable, can't it, when somebody invades our space. It's kind of a human instinct to sort of protect some stuff. No, I need to keep this back for me. This is my personal space. I need this much of life. But when we unpack that word to dwell, and it's kind of a nice, it, it doesn't feel that invasive, does it? Dwell. Somebody's going to come and dwell. I'm going to go and dwell in the Yorkshire Dales. I'm not going to, it's just, I'm going to kind of float around. But that's not how we can understand this word dwell. That's not what this passage is getting at. It's more like, it's not like, it's not like God's coming around for coffee, or he's popping his head over the fence for a chat, or he's going to even be there for a while. The essence of the word, it's like the master is coming back home. It's going to be disruptive to our lives. When we think about God dwelling, it means some real changes in our innermost being for us. And that's where God wants to be, right in the middle, right in the center of our lives, right at the heart of all that. So Paul goes on to establish this by illustrating it. He says, and I pray because we're humans and we don't always get the picture. So it gives us a picture to think about. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To demonstrate God's love, Paul illustrates with depth, not superficiality. He gives us a picture of something that's doing really well, a tree, and a house that stood really firm. But he said the reasons for the successes of these two things are not superficial things. It's not anything that you can see. It's that they are rooted, heavily rooted. They have deep roots, and they are well-founded in God. And that is where the stability comes from. And that is the reason for the successes of these things. And so we can take this picture. We are able to see the limits of God's love when we are grounded deep within it. And so I ask that question again. Have you ever, have you ever thought to yourself, I'm sure there's, there's more out there. I've got more to give. There's more to life than this. I'm sure of it. There's more to my Christian faith than this. Well, the answer is yeah, there is. But it requires us in order to see it, to ground ourselves more and more in the love of Christ, to let God in more and more to the awkward moments, the difficult moments, the moments where we need to share more of our lives. We need God right at the center, with us in our darkest moments, 
the cause of our joy, the stimulus for our good works, the peace that causes us to sleep, the reason we're able to get up, sense in our maddest moments, with us in the middle of our rows, at our most obscene, at our most evil, at our worst is where we need God. For us to get the vast riches of his grace and his love, we need to place him awkwardly in the middle of our lives. My prayer for us this year, as we come to a close, my prayer is that knowing what we do about God will not only break us, but will keep us broken. That's what knowing Jesus does, isn't it? That's what it's done at other times in our life. It's brokenness. It's got us to our knees. And we get this picture of Paul, this helpful picture of a man who just seems to stay there. That's my prayer for this year, that we are people who remain broken by God's love and his love for other people. That we will remain aware of our journey, the journey that we've been on, not that we'll dwell on our sin, so that we're bound by it and that it's uncomfortable, but that we will remember that God has changed us so that we can see something of his glorious power. That our faith will not be a superficial faith. It won't be a rocking up on a Sunday faith, but it will be something that is deep within our hearts. It's going to be authentic, something that's real in us. We're not doing it to please other people. It's because we get it. That the extent of the riches of God's grace won't be something we just read about in the Bible, but that we will know because it's real in our lives. And Paul, in a beautiful way, knows that as we consider all these things, that it won't take us more than five minutes to say, well, I can't. I've tried. I've been a Christian for years. I've not yet managed it. I'm kind of sure that there's more to grasp of God's love. I'm kind of sure that there's more out there. I've not managed it. I'm not going to be able to do it now. So he leaves us with this lovely last paragraph because he knows our human frailty. And with this, we can close. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.